You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 215 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and I am Pimp Cron, and we're brought to you today by our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons, as well as GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain and neoprene mats and STL files, and also Panhandle3D.com for 3D printed terrain. And I'm still eyeing some more terrain from them. Probably going to make another uh, another purchase. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we've got two longer segments. We have a somewhat serious Tesseract mailbox uh, from Heath, and um, he's talking about issues they're having in their game club, and can it be saved? And then we're also discussing how competitive games, not necessarily competitive play, but competitive games that are geared solely towards that, are a cancer on the gaming industry. And I truly believe that. Let's explore that together. So, what have I been up to? Well, I published my uh, short story compilation of Tales from the Brutal. You can find that at BrutalitySkirmishWarGame.com. And uh, please pick up a copy of that. It's uh, 20 short stories. They're all canonical because they came from me. And they all feature different regions and places in the Brutal. And I know a lot of people like the lore behind Brutality. So here you go. Here's another 20 short stories. Um, I've really enjoyed writing it. Um, I'll probably end up making another one at some point. Um, This has been like two years in the making for this book. So I'm happy to finally have it out. And this is a real bucket list item. If I died today, at least I could say I published a book of fiction that was not just game rules or whatever. So I'm very, very pleased at that. What have I been up to? Well, have I done anything? This week has been like very, very busy every single night. So uh, I watched a scary movie with my mom. I'm going to go watch football with my dad. Uh, things that I'm not necessarily in the mood to do because I've got a lot of stuff in my free time, but I still want to spend time with my family. So then I've got uh, the RPG with my little girls tonight, which is another thing that will take up at least an hour. And uh, just, you know, not really complaining, but I have a lot of Shorehammer stuff to do and Brutality stuff to do. I have not gotten to any of that this week because we've been working too much. Um, The thing I did get to do was I got to go to the club this week and... Me and Just James played our Blades of Corn and his, what did he play? I'm trying to think. His Disciples of Zinch. Yeah, it was Disciples of Zinch. And um, we played against our friend David's Moon Clan Grotz and his Mega Gargant. And we played a narrative game. We had a blast. The Mega Gargant got within just a few inches of the point where he had to by the end of the game. And we were able to kill him on that that last turn, so that was a lot of fun. Basically, the random deployment and all of that, come to find out, uh, we were doing like a pincer attack. We were trying to block them off from getting to this spot in our deployment zone. So I was deployed in the top right of our half of the board, and James was deployed in the bottom middle of our board. So those would be positions two and four, if you were rolling off for it the way we do. And... uh, Uh, David was position one and four, so he was in the very center of his table edge. And we decided, you know what? I bet that we can keep you from getting to that spot, even though there's there's like a foot difference between my two deployment zones. And uh, he said, okay, well, I bet my Mega Gargant can get to that spot by the end of the game. We said, all right, let's do it. 
So we desperately tried to stop him, and we were just barely able to. The Mega Gargant was wrecking house. He was killing stuff left and right, but we were able to hurt him pretty badly. A lot of mortal wounds from uh, James's Lord of Change, and um, just stuff like that kept like tar pitting him as much as possible. Now, personally, I thought David should have bubble wrapped his Mega Gargant because his Mega Gargant. What ended up happening is. He had the distance to, to get to the objective. He had the durability and the wounds, but when we're focusing our entire army on the Mega Gargant for two or three turns, he's going to die. That's just probability. And um, he if he had all of his squigs around the Mega Gargant to keep him out of combat, then I think... Uh, and I think he can even step over other units, so I think that probably would have been the better choice. But he charged right into us with the Mega Gargant and killed squads, killed units. I mean... We were pretty devastated, but we were able to hold him out until we killed him. So it was a very fun game. Um, we did use stratagems because he wanted to. Uh, we didn't use any battle tactics or anything like that. It was just win or loss. You either won or you lost. But either way, we had a blast. It was a lot of fun. And that is all I've done for fun this week. The rest of it has been work. So uh, I've got a lot of shorthammer work and stuff to do. So that is really... All I have to talk about. I'm a pretty boring boy this week. Oh well, I will let you get on to the next segment. Let's go. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey everybody, it's the Tesseract mailbox, and today we have a little bit of a heavy topic. Let's get into it. It's a letter from Heath, and he writes at pimpcron at gmail.com. Hello, Pimcron. It is with a heavy heart that I write to you today. My gaming club is in shambles. We were a tightly knit group of half a dozen people, and we've been meeting at the same store for eight years, minus a bit during COVID. I know I'm being overly dramatic with this introduction, but it is not incorrect. My group is now split. Three defected, two of them wanted to kick out those three anyway, and two of us are left, are just left with nothing but bad tastes in our mouth. Can you guess why our group is gone? politics. I'm not even kidding. It honestly breaks my heart that this is not a joke. When I think about the years we spent together and the fun we had, it is very upsetting. We had a discord for the club and two of the three defectors are married. Okay, this might get a little complex. So, th three people broke away from the group and two of the people that broke away are married. The husband has gone down some dark political road of blank, I'm just going to say side A, and is trying to, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but control the group. He's trying to control the group, what they say and do, whatever. The spouse of the husband, I'm, I'm still paraphrasing because this is written as if I know the backstory. The spouse followed suit, as did one of their closer friends. So... The husband got super political over something in one direction, and the spouse followed him, and so did one of their friends. That's the three defectors. Two of our people are moderately political party B, and I awoke one morning to a literal all-caps screeding, screaming match on Discord over the... I almost said it. The uh, a political topic. To get to the... <laughs> this needs to be pre-censored. To get to the end of the story, they are not speaking anymore. It is just a mess. I've tried to make amends among the people, but the wife of the political husband 
was more or less our leader slash organizer, and there's a lot of bad blood now in our small group. Do you think there's any way of fixing this? I'm not joking when I say I am having serious anxiety at the prospect of not having a gaming group. We haven't met in two weeks since the incident, and I'm feeling my stress level rise. Help me, Pimpcron. You're my only hope. Heath. Well, that is a rough topic, Heath. I'm very sorry to hear that, honestly. I know it is a big stress reliever for a lot of us to have a regular gaming group. And just for people keeping up at home, the one of the defectors got super political suddenly and then got in a big argument, and then his wife also left when he left, as did one of their friends, which I assume politically aligned or whatever. And then there's two other people that they got in the fight with, and they are also basically out of the group, and now the Heath and his other friend are all that's left of the group, essentially. And um, it's over some political whatever. So he asks if I can help. Well, number one, um, religion and politics have no place on the gaming table. I'm not lying to you. I respect whatever politics, I respect whatever religion, but that is not the time or place, okay? Are you going to go to a car wash and try to convince someone of some political or, or religious point of view? Are you going to go to the soda shop? Or the <laughs> soda shops don't even exist. You know, like, you're going to just show up at Denny's and start preaching to people. Like, no, that's not going to... There are times and places for that. And if the people involved are not mature enough to actually have that conversation then they really should not be bringing it up. And honestly, just don't bring it up at all. That is the best thing. I understand this is not your fault, Heath. So I, I understand you just kind of walked into this and now it's blown up. Um, I, I'm, I have to say, I mean, they've had to have some sort of, if, if the husband is, is so political suddenly, I don't know what his issue is. Maybe he's really stressed out from work or something like that. People can go pretty far off the rails politically or religiously when they're under a lot of stress, you know? And maybe you can convince the wife. If he's the one that's the driving force, maybe you can con convince the wife to come back or maybe their friend. Or maybe you can just have a gaming group with the side that you most agree with, I guess. I mean, I don't really like that either, to be honest with you. Um, but you and the other neutral person should definitely keep in contact with each other. And maybe you can grow a new group. I've said it before on the podcast, I don't know if you've ever heard, maybe this is why you're writing me, but we do not allow any political conversation at the game store, period. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you're talking about, none. So we've had some very conservative people in the past and some very liberal people in the past, and occasionally they'd start bantering back and forth, and basically we passively bully them as a community to just cut it out, just quit talking about it. And something will make some sort of joke. Typically, it's me because I'm the I'm the impromptu leader of the group and uh, at least the organizer, not really a leader. But the minute people start talking about politics, which very rarely happens now, it's, it's very rare because we've made it very clear we don't want to discuss it. But when it sometimes does come up, then we immediately make some sort of joke or whatever. And we go, OK, guys, we don't really want to hear that. Let's just drop that. Because that does ruin friendships. And that, that comes to a somewhat philosophical viewpoint of my own. I absolutely hate the idea that two people can't just have different points of view and can't just get along. You know, it takes a certain level of maturity to say, hey, I'm side A and you're side B 
and we're we have I mean, they have some things more congruent than they'd like to think, but they like to put in bold and italics and underline all the differences of them. And essentially, what it all comes down to is that whether it's a religion or it's a politics or whatever, everybody wants what's best for everybody, but it's the way they see it. And they might see it very differently, but that doesn't mean either one of you is Hitler. That's the thing. It's like in modern politics, that's why they talk about the identity politics, which I hate so much. It's not my idea pitted against your idea, and we discuss them like reasonable adults. No, it's that I am the best thing ever, and I'm perfect, and my ideology is perfect, versus yours and your Hitler. Like, that's basically, that's it. Like, you're, not only do I disagree with your point of view, but you are a horrible person, and honestly, terrible things should happen to you. That's basically what modern politics is. And I find that to be absolutely ridiculous. And a lot of times religious people are like that too. And I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, we're, we're all, you know, you might have come to different conclusions ideologically. You might come from different backgrounds or whatever. But you gotta admit, most people are not bad people. There's a lot of buttheads in the world. But I think overall, I have to keep the hope that most of humanity are halfway decent people. You know, the average guy is the average guy. He's not a criminal He's not a superhero. He's just a normal guy. Flaws and all, benefits and all. So this sounds like they let their whole identity politics, you know, the three versus the two in your group, they made each other out to be these evil people versus just having a different opinion, you know? And honestly, if we're all being 100% honest, okay, this is the most political I'll ever get in the entire podcast because I normally don't touch politics. If the far one side or the far other side ever completely had their way life would suck (laughs) okay because if you take either of the extremes and that goes for anything in life like the extremes are where you get into trouble when you are somewhere in the middle and you have to work together somewhere in the middle it all kind of averages out right for instance, let's put it in wargaming terms. If you needed all sixes to do anything, right? Your army is sixes to hit, sixes to wound, sixes to save. Everything sixes. Then you would suck, right? That's the extreme of one way. Okay, well, your opponent is two ups to do everything. Two up to hit, two up to wound, two up save, two up everything. That would also suck. That's not balance. You really need a blending of the four ups to hit and the three ups to wound or the whatever. You need a blending of things to have a more reasonable outcome. And that goes for politics, that goes for a relationship, that goes for wargaming, that goes for anything. The middle of the road is usually the safest because it's the, and actually let's use a car analogy, the middle of the road really is the middle of your lane really is the safest. If you get too close to the edge, you can go in the ditch. If you go too close to the line, you'll run into other traffic. The center is the best. So, um, yeah. So, listen, guys, just remember, we're all in this together, okay? We're all trying to live our life, trying to get the best for ourselves and our families and all that. And remember, the other guy is not the devil, okay? So, it's just they have a different point of view, and they're entitled to it. And maybe, just maybe, if you had talked to each other like you weren't hot garbage, then maybe more consideration would be bred and more camaraderie and things like that and less animosity and hate. And I'm sorry to hear that, Heath, that that this has happened to your group. 
Um, my suggestion to you would be try to salvage it as best you can. Try to appeal to them and then maybe start setting up a new rule where there's no politics or just get rid of the Discord altogether and just see each other. That's another thing. That is another thing. The whole online presence thing. If you guys are on Discord, oh man, you, your fingers can just fly across those keyboards. But it's very different to have a conversation in real life. And did you notice, at least according to your story, maybe this has happened in real life too, but did you notice this argument wasn't in person about whatever political thing they're talking about? Did you notice that? Because everyone is far less brave and there's more of a human connection when it's just two people talking versus, oh, I'm behind my keyboard. Ha ha, I'm a keyboard warrior. So maybe you get rid of the Discord. Maybe you try to mend fences and you try to get your group back together um, definitely hold on to that other neutral person because you and them seem like you were more reasonable um, and salvage what you can. Now, my other obvious suggestion, I don't know where you're coming from, um, you know, try to find another gaming group. Try to make a new gaming group. You and the other neutral person make a new gaming group and you might actually get some of those old people back eventually, you know? Or, um, or maybe there's another store that has another gaming group already made or I know people are resistant to joining new gaming groups because you don't know what their meta is like. Are they competitive? Are they casual? All that. You don't know if they're like real clicky or whatever. And it does take a certain type of person to go out of their way to join a new group. I get that. And that's not at all easy. But that might be what you end up having to do. And I mean, when we're talking about silver linings here, you might make all new friends. I mean, it's not the end of the world to go to another group or to start a new group. You might make new friends. I can't tell you how many friends I've made over the years as people come and go into the gaming club. You know, they start playing Warhammer and they quit. Um, I made dozens and dozens of friends. Now, some of them I'm not talking to anymore because they've moved away or just lost contact, you know. But it's still a positive part of your life. So just keep in mind that those other five or six people are not the end-all be-all. You know, they're not the only friends you'd ever find. Warhammer, well, actually, I don't think you said you play Warhammer. I'm assuming you're right into my website or my podcast because you play Warhammer. Um, so I, Warhammer's a big game. It's got plenty of people all around. There's even like comic book store finder you can do as a, as a website where you can find comic book stores. You can ask around. Um, there's even, I think there's a Google Maps for uh, gaming clubs. I'm pretty sure there is where they all pin their gaming club on a map. Um, I know there was for um, Firestorm Armada. I'm pretty sure there is for Games Workshop as well. So anyway, I think you definitely can salvage it. But you know what? If it's far too gone, hold on to that other neutral player. Keep them engaged. Keep playing them each week. Just meet at your house or meet at the game club. You know, you don't need everyone else. You just need one opponent. And keep that relationship and that's your anchor for a, that's the seed for a whole new group. And, uh, you know, it might come full circle and you get the people back. But I would definitely from here on out say no religion, no politics, period. And um, then people, what's funny is if you take out the politics and the religion, people can be nice to each other. Isn't that funny? Like, and this is not an indictment of politics or religion. I'm just saying I think it's so funny that if they don't focus on the religion or politics of the other person and they just see them as a human being, most people get along just fine. Like, that's that's the way we are. But then you start putting all these labels on people. Oh, there are this, or oh, there are that, or that's where you get into trouble. And then that's when people start treating people differently and all that nonsense. 
So I think I've gone on far too long, but I do really feel for you, Heath, and uh, keep me posted on how everything's going. Hopefully you, you're going to make it out just fine, and I really think you will. It's a big game, big community. You'll find new people. Thank you for writing in at pimpcron.gmail.com. You can also call the voicemail, which is a toll-free number on the show notes each week. And, of course, uh, facebook.com slash pimpcron. And uh, I'll see you on the other side of this music. Oh, God! Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hey, everybody. It's Real Talk with the Pimpcron. And today we're discussing that competitive games are a cancer. That's right. So... First off, before you go, the pimp crying. Okay, hold on. I'm not saying competitive gaming is necessarily a cancer, but we could consider that a free radical, okay? One of the things that potentially calls a cancer in a game. But we're not really discussing competitive gaming. We're discussing competitive games. So what does that mean? That is your magics. That is your hero clicks. That is your Warhammer Underworlds. That is your online MMO games, multi, massively multiplayer online games. All of those sorts of things are competitive games. Now, do I enjoy magic? Absolutely. I do enjoy magic. Do I keep up with it? No. There's uh, several caveats I need to make to this, okay? Magic can be played. Hero clicks can be played. MMOs can be played casually. But by and large... They are competitive games. You're trying to get to the top, especially if you're talking like a Fortnite or something like that, Call of Duty, where you've got gamer rankings and stuff like that. You're trying to make a name for yourself. Um, you could argue that ITC also falls into this category, even though the games themselves, Warhammer 40k, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, all of that, they are not necessarily competitive games. They don't fall into that because they heavily try to focus on casual and narrative play. Competitive is an aspect to it, and they do cater them as well, but I think that's just good business, honestly, to cater to all the different facets of your customers. So I am not going to spend this time shitting on Warhammer. I don't think Warhammer is a competitive game, so I should probably explain what a competitive game is. A competitive game has a grind. It has seasons, it has things that perpetually make you keep up with the latest, greatest, most powerful things, or you'll be left in the dust, okay? Underworlds is a really great example of that. Let's try to stick a little bit to the tabletop aspect of this in the miniatures games, okay? Because MMOs are like this, magic is like that, all that. So, if you keep up with Underworlds, as we discussed a couple episodes ago, you have to buy the newest sets to get new cards, to get new warbands, and all of that, and each warband is significantly uh, edgier than the last, that sort of thing. So if you're using a warband from three years ago, you're just crap out of luck, because the new ones are so much better. Heroclix is very much like this, and magic is to a slightly lesser degree, but it is also like this. And MMOs are most certainly like that. When they you know, increase the level cap, or when they come out with new classes or builds or whatever, they can have serious advantages on the older stuff. You might have been top dog 10 years ago in your favorite MMO, but if you come back after a hiatus, all of a sudden you realize that you're medium tier now, because everyone else has increased and gotten better, and even all the max stats are better, etc. But you might ask yourself, why is that a problem? 
certainly there is a market for competitive games and that sort of thing. And of course, you're you're right about that. But we have to look exactly what a game is, what the average gamer wants out of a game, and do competitive games that are geared solely towards competition and they really don't cater to narrative or casual, anything like that, do they actually fit the bill of what we're looking for in a game? And my thesis statement is no, they do not. Okay, so what do most people want in a game? Most people want a community to play a game with, right? Most people are not into solo gaming. Most people want opponents and they want a community and they want to be able to talk about their favorite game and all of that. So community is the number one point on this. And at first you go, oh, well, competitive games certainly have a community, right? And you're right. They do have a community until they eventually don't. <laughs> like... You can look at the history of MMOs and other games like that that are highly competitive, and like War Machine is another example where there was no narrative play in War Machine. They might have tried to pretend like there was, but War Machine was a highly strategic, highly competitive game. It was designed for tournament players, and that game is all but dead. Let's look at Guild Ball. was a highly competitive game. There was no narrative. There was no casual. And that is, well, that's a dead game. Underworlds, same way and pretty much the same boat. They're pretty much on their way out and all the players say that their numbers of attendance and all that's dropping pretty hard. So the problem, if you look at the history of these types of games, is that they often become a flash in the pan. Yes, you might have jumped on in you know, the first season of Underworlds, and it was booming, and there was tons of players, and tons of games, and all that to have, but then people eventually move on to other things if it's only geared towards competitive, because eventually, either the trickle of new, in new stuff is not fast enough for people, and they lose interest, or the trickle of new stuff is too fast for people, and they lose interest, then you get into the point of some armies are just so much better than others that it discourages people from playing, and eventually people really get sick of the grind. They do, and that is just human nature. They think they like competitive, and what they really like is new shiny, new shiny, new shiny, and they also like point and click to win. So you're you're dealing with competitive people that only play to win. They don't they don't play for the camaraderie. They don't play for the enjoyment of the game itself, the narrative, the story. None of that. They're only playing to win. And when they don't feel like it is an easy win for them, or they feel like they can't keep up, then they ditch it. And how many MMOs have been out there, and how many of them are still running? I mean, even World of Warcraft is somewhat struggling, and that was the biggest best ever. Number two on this list is people want a fair game. If you're playing narrative games or casual games, you're much more likely to have a fair game because both players are not trying to crush each other, right? You want to have a good strategy, you want to have a good challenge, you know, you want to have fun with your opponent, but you're really not trying to kill them. You're not taking the most finely tuned list. You're not taking the new nastiness, you know, or you might be taking one of them, but you're not taking three of them. And when you design your game around the new shiny hotness that's more powerful than everything else, and you have to keep up with that grind, it makes it really easy for a company to mess up with their releases. Their releases are too powerful, and now basically everybody plays a copy of the same list, because only this army is powerful enough to win. 
right? And then all of a sudden you get an over 50% win rate with these things, 80% win rate in tournaments with whatever the newest hotness is, right? People may not want to chase that sort of meta if you make things too powerful. Highly competitive games do, of course, involve strategy and whatnot, but they make it very clear that there are certain ways that are easier to win by. And then that makes all of the fun about winning and not really about enjoying the camaraderie of being with someone else. So if you're playing a com- casual game and you lose, you're like, oh, shucks, oh, well, next time, because you probably didn't get crushed. Nobody enjoys being crushed. And if it becomes a rock, paper, scissors, and whatever wins is always the newest stuff, and you have to constantly keep up with that grind, then people get burned out really quickly, and they feel like the game is not fair. So when both players are coming at a game, and they are both trying to go moderate on each other, there's a lot of room for upsets, there's a lot of room, and I don't mean people getting upset, I mean unexpected results in a game. That makes the game more variable. If you're playing a highly competitive game and only the new hotness is the most powerful and it wins most of the time, then you feel that the game is not fair. And that's what kills communities as well. The third point on this is something that's actually temporarily good for game companies, but it's really bad for the customer. And that is the grind. I've already mentioned it a little bit, but if you are doing a competitive game that's solely based on competitiveness, then you have to have a constant trickle or a constant flow of new material that is essentially better than the previous material. You just need to do that. Because what will end up happening is the competitive players will take the Occam's Razor, right? And they will cut it, cut all the armies down to the bone. And they will be able to tell you, oh, if I play this army versus your army, I've got a 6576 percent chance of winning or losing or whatever they take all of the joy out of a game and all the you know randomness and the the experience of it and they break it down to numbers you see this in mmos all the time because they go oh well you know what if i get x amount of experience for just fishing and even though fishing is really really boring fishing is the most efficient (laughs) that wasn't a pun efficient way of getting experience so when I get the experience for fishing, I'll just put like a bot running my my guy fishing, right? I'll walk away and not even play the damn game. And I'm going to farm experience in the most efficient way to level up other skills that don't even have anything to do with fishing so that I can get max level as soon as possible. MMOs are the race to the top. And basically all competitive games are the race to the top. If some cape gives you some new thing that's better than everything else, well, then everyone's going to try and get that cape. If there's a new deck of cards for Underworld that makes your people way more powerful, well, then everyone's going to go after that warband or that set of cards because it's more powerful. It's just the nature of the game. And temporarily, for a company, that is really, really good. You've got a feeding frenzy of constant content coming out, And people are buying it up and you're making tons and tons of money. Well, that's fantastic. The problem is, if you mess up in the slightest, if a release is too powerful, is not powerful enough, if it's too fast, if it's too slow, if people don't find the game engaging anymore because maybe you made it a little too competitive and a little less random, then you're going to start losing numbers. And the problem with competitive people, you know, there's a lot of casual players that will play with the same buddy in their basement for a decade or two decades, and they don't care about having anybody else to play with. Competitive people 
want the new challenge constantly and want new players, which you can't really blame them for, right? But when the community starts dying, it drops hard. And that's what you also see in MMOs. MMOs I keep coming back to because they're the most obvious. You can actually see player engagement numbers for MMOs, whereas you really can't see that for tabletop games or Magic or whatever. You can kind of judge it by, like, attendance at tournaments. You can kind of judge it by their stock price, how much you know they re- report quarterly or whatever. You can kind of see that, but you really can't see engagement. There's plenty of people that just buy models and they don't engage with the hobby at all. You know, They might paint, but they don't play or, or vice versa. So it's really hard to gauge tabletops, but MMOs are very, very obvious. And there's a YouTube channel that I love called uh, Death of a Game, and he goes through uh, he basically makes it like a crime scene. He des- he describes how the MMO, you know, was started and then it grew and then it fell. And then he does like an autopsy and says why the MMO died. It's a really great series. I've watched pretty much every single one of his videos he's ever made. And uh, I like a lot of those MMOs, Josh Dreyf Hayes and all that, even though I don't even play MMOs. But I just like that whole diagnosis of that whole industry. And a lot of it applies to regular games as well. Um, you know, Magic, if they release a crappy deck, which I know a couple of their sets have been crappy. They've just been kind of underpowered. Um, the store owner was telling me about them. I almost think it was the Samurai set or something like that. There were some sets and their sales dropped seriously because nobody's playing for the fun of it. They're playing for the new hotness, the new set that's got the new powers and the new abilities and all that. They're not really playing for a story. How do you have a, how do you have a story with Magic? You know, and the same thing with Heroclix. Heroclix, if this set isn't as powerful or more as the last one, well, then they're just not going to sell any models, and that hurts the company. So they have a distinct incentive to constantly be pushing new and more powerful stuff. And that's like driving your car at 150 miles per hour, right? And in kilometers, that's like, I think, 7 bajillion kilometers per hour. Yeah, for you Europeans. Anyway... So you're driving your car at like two or three times the legal limit. Let me put it that way on the road. And if you've ever driven a car very, very fast, and I've never driven that fast, but I've gotten to, you know, 100 miles per hour or whatever. And at that velocity, you realize that the slightest turn of your wheel, or if you hit a pebble, you could potentially lose it all and flip your vehicle. Like it's extremely dangerous to drive at those speeds because the car is not really designed to handle those speeds and you start like riding this razor thin line of completely just wrecking everything and losing everything so that's basically the way these are when you are doing a constant stream of content any little too powerful or not powerful enough is a little jerk on the steering wheel and if that is enough to cascade into the rest of the game, you're going to completely fall flat. You're going to lose your consumer base. You're going to lose your community. And then if you start losing your community, then you start losing even more community because the only reason why they want to play is to play different people. So it is a high stakes gambit is basically what it is. Now, versus that, 
look at any other regular game like Dungeons and Dragons or even board games, Monopoly or things like that, they don't have the massive sales necessarily. Now, I know G- Dungeons and Dragons is a weird situation right now because it's been very popular since Stranger Things and what, 2017 or whatever. So that's a little weird, but think about how long Dungeons and Dragons has been around. It's been in the zeitgeist, it's been in society, and people knew about it, but it was not some banger, you know, like it did not sell like crazy amounts. It sold respectably, and it made money, and it was totally fine. But the reason why is it wasn't competitive. You could play it however you wanted. You could play it with whoever you wanted. You could play it solo. You could play it. It's not like you're doing Dungeons & Dragons tournaments. So that's what I'm talking about. Even Warhammer, by and large, I know competitive is a portion of Warhammer, but Warhammer allows for many, many different types of play. And you don't need to play the newest thing to win at Warhammer, especially if you're playing casual or narrative, because there's so many options and there's so much randomness in it that it really is not rock, paper, scissors until you start getting into the competitive aspects of it. So basically, those three things are what we look for in a game, such as fairness and longevity, etc. And competitive games only are a flash in the pan and only have that for a short amount of time. And that is a cancer to the gaming industry. Because you've got all of these helter-skelter games that come and go, and oh my god, it's so cool, and then, oh, nobody plays that anymore. It's very turbulent, and it gets to people to spend a lot of money on stuff that eventually ends up being worthless. Because if the game dies, then all your cards or all your miniatures or whatever are not nearly worth as much as they used to be. And, I mean, look at Heroclix. Heroclix, once the set is out of print, like it's it's out of the cycle of what you can take in their tournaments, the price of those models, they used to be $100 for this one model because it was an ultra-limited edition Chase Rare model, and now it's like 10 bucks because it's no longer playable in the tournaments, so they no longer want it. Whereas Warhammer, even though there is a competitive side to it, Warhammer holds its value much longer because lots of people realize there's other ways to play it, and it's not necessarily the go, 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 have to buy, have to buy, have to buy. So hopefully I've not belabored this point. Um, it's a very hard and complex and difficult topic to actually wrap my head around and put into words, but I think I've basically condensed it to that. Those three points are what you look for in a game, and I think that's pretty universal for everybody, and competitive games don't really fit that bill. So you can also, let me give you one last analogy. Have you ever been in a relationship? And you guys were totally hot for each other. I mean, they were hot. They thought you were hot. It was hot and heavy, passion, blah, blah, blah. But eventually it fizzles out because you guys didn't really gel together on a root level. There was no substance to that relationship. It was all hormones and horniness and all that, right? That is the tale told, uh, tale as old as time. And that's why a lot of marriages fail, because people are like, oh, we've been dating, you know, a couple months or a couple years, and we're still hot and heavy and all that. Well, that's fine. But marriage, as much as I love marriage, I think everyone will agree, marriage is kind of mundane. It's the same person. It's the same um, schedule. It's the same routine. And I personally, this is not bullshitting you, I love being married. 
When I look at the dating scene nowadays, I'm like, good God, I'm glad I found someone that I click with. I'm glad I found someone that I get along with on a personal level versus just all the hormones and all of that. But you've, if you've never experienced that sort of relationship where it's hot and heavy and then it fizzles, you definitely know people who have. And that's basically competitive gaming. Competitive gaming is you are all horny for the game system, and the game system is horny for your money, and you guys just hammer it out for a couple months, and then eventually you realize you don't have a real connection. Once you get used to that stimulus of constant new material and constantly trying to win and chase the meta and all of that, once you get used to doing that, it's kind of like, blah. It's just not worth doing anymore. Eventually, you realize you're not a good match. But if you take the slower route, the more genuine route of just casual gaming, I buy these models because I like the models. I buy this army because I like the army. I like the way it plays. I like how the models look. Um, I play with my buddies, and we kind of go easy on each other sometimes. Sometimes we play harder or, or whatever, you know, and he knows that... I hate super heavies, so he doesn't take more than one, and I know he hates flyers for whatever reason, so I don't take any, or I just take one, or whatever. You have a relationship with the game, and you have a relationship with the other players. It's not just banging each other until you lose interest, and that's where I feel like longevity of the game comes from, and it's the same thing for a marriage. If you can connect on a deeper level, and yeah, fine, the, the passion and the romance and all that is great, but that's eventually gonna fizzle. It's the same thing with, like, if you marry someone that's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, he's the most handsome man or the most beautiful woman or whatever, just, oh my god, this, this person could have been a model, okay? But they're a total asshole. Eventually, their looks are going to fizzle out. Eventually, no matter how much you put up with the asshole attitude, but they look good. Oh my god, they look so good. Everyone's like, oh my god, I cannot believe you bagged this person as your spouse. The problem is, there's no substance, and eventually that person's going to get old and chubby and gray and wrinkled, and all of that is going to fade, and eventually you're just left with the asshole. And <laughs> that's basically... <laughs> now you've got an old moderately attractive asshole versus a hot young asshole. That's, bas that's basically what I'm saying here. Um, so hopefully you enjoy my colorful analogies, but it's the truth. And if a game is genuine and isn't trying to price gouge you and is not trying to constantly bleed you for new money, then you can form a much more wholesome and long-lived relationship with it. And I believe that wholeheartedly. So, thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. That's Event 10 for 10% off. And Panhandle3D.com for Podcast 10, 10% off. And my beautiful, sexy, good smell and Patreon patrons who we have a deep connection with. Yep. Now, they are very attractive. I gotta tell you, I would, I would do all sorts of weird stuff with every one of them. But a lot of them are already taken, unfortunately. So, that's just... That's my own heartache, but I won't get into that. I'll see you next week, guys.